the authority for the teaching that JB's going to bring this morning is actually uh, God's Word. And this morning, that teaching is going to be coming from Genesis. If you'll read with me together, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's word. You may have... uh... At some point in your life, I'm going to guess pretty much everybody here, probably depending on age, above a certain age has thought or asked the question, what am I going to do with my life? You probably asked that at some point. You say, what am I going to do? What job will I do? From a very young age, we start to say, uh, what do you think you want to be when you grow up? We start to ask these questions and we start to think through them and we say that often. And we start to talk about that. And uh, if, you've grown up, if you've grown up in the church or you've been around the church, a lot of times we'll start to then... Uh, and rightfully so, we'll start to then put it in the terms of uh, what is, what's God's will for my life? What would God have for me? And we'll start to ask those questions. And a lot of times those questions really pop up when we have hard decisions that come. You know, uh, should I move? Should I take a new job? Uh, where am I going to go to college? Those kind of things. And then we really start to ask them, what do you want for me? And we start to look. And uh, as we jump back into our series this morning, we're really going to talk about that in a broader sense. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you who you should marry or where you should go to college or what job you should have, but we're going to talk at a much deeper level who we are as people. And that's really what we're going to look at this morning. And the series that we started last week, if you were with us, 
is we're just calling the story, God's story over all creation, what scripture lays out for us. And really what we're kind of doing is an overview and hitting through some of the big things. And it gives us the big picture. And what we were talking about last week is when we see the big picture of how God's moving, we see more clearly how we fit into his story and how that works. And then our story makes more sense by seeing what God's doing and what uh, where he's going and, and, and all, all that goes along with it. So what we said last week is if you were with us, we started at the beginning with creation and that God is the creator. And what we saw with that and what we talked about is God is the central reality in all the universe. Um, as Romans 11 says, all things are from him, through him and to him and glory to him forever and ever. Or as Hebrews 2 says it, all things exist for him and by him. And so what we hit on last week, just at the very foundational, and I'm spending just a few minutes uh, going back over this just because it is so important even as we move ahead today, it's who we are in God. It's this, this central, central fact is the story, all story of history, all of it is about God. God is at the center. Uh, we said it this way, God is God-centered. God is for God. And uh, sometimes, I touched on this briefly last week, sometimes that rubs us the wrong way. As people, as humans, we go, we, we want to make the, and we may not admit it, but we want to make the story about us. We want God to be all about loving us and we're the center instead of him being the center. And uh, a lot of times when you say that, God is God-centered, God is for his glory, people go, ooh, and they kind of, that rubs them, they don't like that. And the reason is, I think we do that is because we're, we're projecting onto God a, a person. We're acting like, well, God's just a person that's a little bit above us. And so we start to put it in human terms. If I were to say, I am all for my glory, and it's all about me, you'd say, what a jerk. What an egotistical guy he is, right? I mean, it would sound awful if I, I were to say that. The difference is, God really is the greatest thing there is. He's, he's great above all else, and he is the center. Um, we are to be about, uh, we are to, say it this way, we are to esteem most highly what is most valuable in the universe, right? And God is infinitely more valuable than anything else. So for him to be God-centered, to be about his glory, it's the most loving thing he can be because he is the greatest thing in all the universe. And that's really what we hit on last week. So this, what we started with is the story, the big story when we start is about God. It's about God first and foremost. And that's the most important thing. We've got to start with it there. So then the question becomes today, as we look further down in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, is well, where do we fit into the story? If it's all about God, how does man come in? How do we fit in to the story? And that's really what we're going to look at today in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. We're going to look at kind of what our purpose is, what we are to be, why God made us, what, what all that means. So we're going to look at uh, some of the verses that Chris just read a second ago in Genesis 1 and 2. But before we do, I want to just pray for just a second before we jump into that. So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches. I pray this morning that we would leave here with a clear picture of your creation, how we fit into it, who we are in you, that we would see clearly uh, the God-centeredness that's supposed to be in each one of us and why that's so important for us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place, open our eyes to see these truths and be able to apply them to our lives, that they would really take root in our hearts and that we would leave here truly changed, coming closer to you. We thank you for all you do for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin, who, who we are in Genesis 1 and 2, I'm going to ask it this way, three ways. Who are we? What are we to be doing? And then how do we live it out? So who are we? 
What are we to be doing and how are we to live it out? So we're going to start with who are we? Very straightforward. You've probably heard this a lot. The first two points are going to be real quick because you've probably heard them a whole lot. But if you've grown up in the church, I should say that you've probably heard them a whole lot. Verse 27, right? Who are we? Verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Right? So what we often say is when God made his creation, he placed man in it to be his image bearers. Right? We're the one thing in God's creation that he puts in that reflects his image. So we say that when we say, who are we? We are made in God's image to be his image bearers in creation. And we often say that in the church. And we just um, I think a lot of times we say things like that and we just assume everybody knows what we mean. And we move on. We go, OK, yeah, we're image bearers. And people go, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. But we don't really stop to think about what it means. Um, I want us to think about that for just a second, what it means to be made in God's image. And what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that we're exact replicas of God. We're not just a clone. We're not gods, right? We're less than he is. We're made we're beneath him, but we have a lot of the same uh, attributes and things he's put in us to be his image bearers. When I think of image, it helps me to think uh, a saying we say a lot in the South. You've probably heard it a lot in North Georgia is that he is the spitting image of his daddy. Have you ever heard that before? And, and what we mean when we say that the spitting image is he's a lot like his father. He looks like his. And by the way, I saw the perfect example of this two weeks ago. And uh, I met Ron Coker's son. If you know Ron, I met his son. He is the spitting image of his daddy. <laughs> almost scary. Like before I met him, I saw him and I went, yeah, that's his son. Yeah, definitely. He's just a little bigger, but he has the same voice. He talks the same. He looks, it, it was, it was pretty, it was kind of, and uh, anyway, it was, it was cool to see that, but you knew immediately that it's his son because he bears resemblance to his dad. He looks like him in certain ways. And when we talk about us being image bearers of God, there's, there's some things that we can talk about how we're his image bearers. Uh, we're relational, um, we're, we're thinking, we think through, we have feelings, we're moral beings, we, we have a sense of right and wrong. These things that God puts in us to be his image bearers that, re, that uh, reflect back, we're reflecting back who he is. So when we begin with that, um, that that's kind of what we mean, that we, we're, we have some of those same things in us. Now, to say the, he's a spitting image of his father, that doesn't quite work because there's a difference there because God is far above and much greater than us. When you say, oh, he's a spitting image of his dad, you're not saying, oh, he's just a, carbon, he's just a copy of a copy and he's not anything near his father. We don't mean that when we say a son to father, but with God to us, he's put his image in us, but we're not God. Um, I like to think of it this way. Uh, it's like the image in a mirror, right? If you stand in front of a mirror and you look at your image in the mirror, it reflects back. It looks like you. It looks the same, but there's something very, very different between the image in the mirror and you, right? You yourself can move and you have depth and, and you're, you're more than just a flat 2D image. And really, that's kind of a good way to think of it between us and God. Yes, we mirror him back and we have a lot of the same attributes in us, but God is so infinitely greater than we are, right? Your ways are not my ways. God says, I'm in, you can't even understand some of the things. So we, we need to think about being his image bearers, but we also need to think there's a great vast difference between us and God. So the first part we say is, who are we? We're his image bearers in his creation. But then the second question becomes, what are we to be doing? Right? If we're his image bearers, he's put us in creation to be like him. We bear his image in his creation. What are we to be doing? And uh, we often say this, too, in the church, and you probably know this, you've probably heard this before. We say our job as his image bearers is to glorify him, right? Uh, your little family worship card that we gave you last week, who made you, 
right? What else did God make? And then it says, why did he make you? And, and the answer is for his glory. That's, that's what we often say in the church, and we say that a lot. But I want us to really think about what that means and even think that through this morning a little bit and think of it like this. If God is perfect, he's complete, he's all-sufficient, he's infinitely great and glorious, and as we said last week, he didn't create us to meet his needs because he doesn't have any needs. Right? We said that last week. God is perfectly uh satisfied in and of himself, so he didn't create us to meet his needs, then how do you glorify a God like that? If he doesn't need anything from us, how do you glorify a God like that? And uh, I think a good way to start to think about when we say glorify what that means, a good way to think of it is a well-polished mirror that reflects back his truth. A well-polished mirror that we're reflecting back who he is. And when we start to see and talk about what, what it means to glorify him. Um, he made us for his glory to reflect back his truth and who he is. So we could even say it that it's our duty to glorify God. And now when we say duty, all of a sudden we go, oh, it's our duty. It, it has a negative connotation a lot of times in our society. And we go, oh, it's our job to do it or it's our duty. And we go, oh, that sounds. But here's, here's the wonderful thing about glorifying God. And who we are as people. You were made to glorify God. The fullness of your joy doesn't come until you begin to glorify God. The closer you get to that, the more full it is and the more perfectly the match is because that's what you were made for. So yes, it's our duty, but it's our privilege and our joy to do so. So when we talk about who we are, we say that we're made in his image. And then what are we to be doing? It's to glorify him. But then uh, I want us to think about how do we do that? Well, we can say glorify means to be a well-polished mirror and to reflect him back. And we can say those things and we're to glorify him. Or oftentimes we say, what's the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? But how do we do that? Right. This, this kind of vague language. A lot of times we have church answers, but if we don't really think what's behind them, they don't mean a whole lot. We really need to think about what that means to do so. So how do we do that? How do we reflect him? And I want to just hit on two main ways that are in Genesis this morning, the, the verses we read. And I want us to start with verses 16 and 17 of chapter two. And it says, and the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so the first thing I want us to get of how we glorify God, and it's pretty simple and straightforward, is this. God puts man in the garden. He sets Adam up. He, he's done all this. You're my image bearers. And then basically what he says is there's one rule here. You trust me. Right? That's what he's telling Adam. There's, there's this one tree over here, and I don't want you to take of that. Essentially what God's saying is just trust me. Trust what I'm telling you. And I want you to think about that for just a second, the way we glorify him in that. that, we, that uh, it's really straightforward in that we trust him by having a loving and faithful or, or loving and grateful obedience to what he tells us. Right? If God is creator of all things, he's made us, he knows how it goes together, there's no reason we shouldn't trust him. He created, that's what we hit on last week. He created everything there is, and there's no reason we shouldn't trust him. So how do we do that? How do we just trust what he tells us? Will, will we obey? That's part of it. But a lot of times what we do is we then take obedience and we, we twist it into works, our works. I need to do this and this. God's given me this list. And now in order to glorify him, I've got to do this and this and this and this. 
and we start making it into our works. If I do these things, God will be happy with me and then he'll be glorified. And we, we make it into the checklist. If I do this and this and this. And uh, it's not about our work for him. It's our trust in him. And there's a difference there. And I want you to think about it for just a second. How would you glorify a beautiful painting? Right? If you wanted to glorify a beautiful painting, what you don't do is you don't go, oh, look at that. You go to the museum and you're standing before it and whatever the masterpiece is. Uh, Joanna and I, have a, uh, we had somebody do a painting of a John Singer Sargent painting, if you know who he is. And uh, it was a painting that she loved when we were in uh, college. We took art appreciation together and it's hanging in our thing. But, well, I don't go buy it and go, I need to go get my paintbrush out. And now I'm going to touch this up and make some things and add to it, right? I don't do that. What you do when you glorify a painting, when you look at it, is you just admire it. You rest in what it is and you go, wow, this is beautiful. And you make much of its beauty. You go tell your friends, hey, come look at how beautiful this painting is. You don't feel the need to suddenly go, well, I've got to improve upon it and I'm going to go to work. Or the same thing, let's say you go over to a friend's house and they make a wonderful meal. In order to glorify that meal, you don't say, okay, well, where's your spice cabinet? I'm going to add a few things to this, right? That, that wouldn't be glorifying. It would be the opposite. And it's the same thing when we start to suddenly go, well, I need to do some work, so I glorify. I need to work for them, and we make it into our works. You see what's happening is, and this is why I said last week it was so foundational that the story is about God. When we start to work and we make it about what we do for him, suddenly we're turning the story back on us. It's about me, Right? I'm going to please God by how well I do this, this, and this. But yet God doesn't need anything from us. We can't add to his, his joy. So there's a difference there. Um, another way to think of it is I, I always go to sports analogy, but growing up, like as a basketball player, if, if I had a coach that I really respected and, and wanted his opinion and I go to him and, uh, or I go in practice and I'm thinking that my coach is really good and he knows what he's doing. He says, okay, now we're going to run and we're going to do all these things. And I go, oh, this is so stupid, this run. And I grumble the whole time. I'm not glorifying. I'm not resting and trusting in who he is, right? I'm kind of I'm doing the opposite. And to really glorify him, I do it joyfully and go, yes, he's right. Yes, I, I trust him. And I, you see the difference there versus working versus, it, versus glorifying, being thankful, obedience, for who God is and what he's told us. Um, just like the painting, we enjoy it for his beauty. It's the same with God. We rest in who he is. We enjoy who he is because he's greater than anything else. And when we talk about that, by the way, this is why praise is so important in our lives. If we're made to glorify God, that's what we're doing. We're expressing that through word and song when we sing together. Think, you think about that? We're, we're made, literally made, to praise him. It's, it's, hard, it's part of who we are in our, in our very being. So the first way that we say this, that we glorify him, is we trust him. And we love him and we're obedient to him. But there's a second way I want to see here uh, in this passage, and it's there. And I think it helps to think through this. And uh, the second way I want us to talk about is we mirror him relationally. Right? We, we hit on this just at the beginning last week. Um, what does that mean exactly to say, well, we mirror him relationally? Last week we started to talk about how there's hints, even in Genesis 1, of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we talked about how uh, in, in 1, 26 and 27 it says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and what that means, that it's God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit creating together. And the Trinity, they, they all exist perfectly in three parts, but they're still one. And by the way, when we start to get into the Trinity, if anybody tells you, okay, now I'm going to explain the Trinity to you, 
be real wary if anybody says that. Now I'm going to tell you exactly what it's like because uh, that's, that's where we get back to God as creator and we are creatures. There's only parts of it that we can say because we just he's beyond us. His greatness is so much greater than us. But scripture does tell us some things and it does begin to say some things that we can see about way the Trinity works. And uh, we read purposely this morning, we read from John 17 as Jesus is praying to God the Father. And you start to get a glimpse of what's happening in the Trinity there. I always point people to that. I'm not going to read it now, but take the time to read John 14, 15, 16, and 17. And pay special attention to what Jesus says about the Father and the Holy Spirit and himself. And you start to get this picture of the Trinity. And it's this beautiful picture. And you even saw it this morning in that reading. Jesus says, uh, glorify me now, Father. As I glorify you a little bit earlier in that in that section, he says about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask the father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And the Holy Spirit is then going to glorify me, Jesus. And what you start to get is all three parts of the Trinity live to glorify the other parts. Now, it's all God. It's all one. That's the part where we'll go. Oh, it makes your brain explode. You try to figure that out. But what's happening is all three parts are outwardly loving to the other parts and they're glorifying and they're deflecting and they're looking at and they're trusting and they're loving. So in and of himself, God is love. There's a wonderful quote in your reflections this morning. And uh, I I urge you, uh, you don't have to look at it now. I don't want to don't 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 go there because then you'll start thinking that and I'll lose you. But just know that it's there. There's a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis that talks about why our um, understanding of God being love and love coming from God rests in that doctrine of the Trinity. And he explains it so well. So I urge you to take that later, later today, after, you know, maybe in lunch and read it and talk about it and think about what it says and really wrestle with that because it will help you grow closer to who God is and how we're made in his image. And what that is and what you see even in that quote, and I love the way C.S. Lewis explains it. He's helped me a lot in, in that understanding of the Trinity, he talks about it being a dance, right? All three parts of the Trinity orbiting around the other three parts. And it's just this complex dance that they're always glorifying and pointing to the other. And what we get out of that is that God is love and he's all good and he's, he's loving perfection in and of himself, right? What's happening in God himself right now is perfect love. It's absolutely perfect. And then that means he makes us in his image, And what that means for us on how we glorify him, you know, when we reflect back who he is, is that we become outwardly focused and loving. Right. Think about what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. What Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love God and then love man. Be outwardly focused and loving in your relationships. And I want you to think of it this way. The closer you get to God, the more capacity you have for love. Because he's the source of it. So as you draw closer to him, then you're able to love others more fully. So that's why it says you love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. You come to me and then through that, I will. Sh- it gets better, right? It's like he's the energy source. The closer you get to him, the more that your capacity to love grows. So when we think about how we reflect back him, it's through our relationship. And we even see that right here in Genesis 2. Look at verse 18. Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, a helper fit for him. And then in verse 21, it says, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up 
its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And what we get is God creates. He says it is not good that man should be alone, that he should have a relationship to fully reflect back him or to love others in relationship. Now, there's a whole lot here. And remember, we're doing kind of fast going big picture overview. But there's a lot here about men and women and our relationships and what they mean. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I don't want to just gloss over it. But I do want to say this. It does. God says that uh, he's going to take the woman and, and she will be a help, a helper fit for him. And uh, what we begin to see, and, and Paul elaborates on this in Ephesians 5, it's all throughout Scripture, is that, uh, and this should be no surprise to you, men and women are different. Right? Groundbreaking news, I know. We're, we're not the same. But I want you to think about this, though. What, what it does say when we go back to 127, and it tells us that God created man. Uh, he created him, male and female. He created them. We're both men and women are made in God's image, and we both reflect back who he is. And we're equal before God, but we're different. And we even have different roles, even in the way God's made us. And we can talk about this, and we should, and I want us to talk about this when you go and you sit and we eat together, and when we're in Bible studies, and when we're in our small groups, we need to be talking about these things. But I want you to see, even right here, even in creation, before the fall, you start to see the beginnings of submission and male leadership. And it's right here in Genesis 1 and, and, and Genesis 2. And a lot of times we go, oh, wait a second, submission and leadership, and we get real kind of... But, but the thing is, the problems that come out of that, right? The problems that come out of it, not the submission and not the leadership, that is right there before the fall. The problems that come out of it come after the fall. And we'll talk about that next week. And all kinds of things get messed up before that. But I want you to see this idea of male leadership, the woman being fit to be a helper, does not mean she's less than. It means that God's made us to fit together in such a way that, that that's how it works. And, and I want you to even think about this, because when we talk about reflecting who God is, submission and leadership and that relationship together is even present in the Trinity. I want you to think about in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Jesus empties himself and becomes a, takes on flesh, comes into the story for us. And you think about in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays to the Father and he says, if there be any way that this cup can pass from me, right? You know what he says next? Not my will, but your will, right? Jesus is submitting to the will of the Father. Even in perfect relationship, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's an element of submission, so when we talk about male and female and the way it goes together, those are not bad words. Those are not bad things. In fact, they're wonderful things when we do it the way God designed it to be. Right? There's supposed to be this, this relationship there that's been marred completely uh, by the fall. And we'll, like I said, we'll get back to that next week. I'm, I don't want to get too much there. So but our relationships, the way that we glorify God, our relationships... Um, do that by, by being outwardly focused, by being loving, by putting others first, by doing a lot of those things. We reflect back who God is, even in our relationship. They ultimately help us help point us to God. Right. Even marriage. Right. Right here in the beginning, God institutes marriage between a man and a woman right here in Genesis two. And then later we'll come to find out. Paul says 
God made marriage to give us a clear picture of Christ's love for the church. So even marriage was made to glorify God. You see that? Even that, God gives us that to then turn us back to him because he's the center of the story. It's all about him, even marriage, even our relationship. Now, here's the sad, sad part that happens often. We take relationships that God made us that are wonderful gifts that he's given to us and they're great things, but he gave them to us to reflect back him and who he is. And marriage is a a wonderful picture of Christ and the church. And we take it and we make our whole story about our relationships. Instead of the story is about God and all these things he's given us reflect back who he is, we go, we make it all about our marriages or our kids or whatever. And when we do, when we turn from him and we make it all about those things, they start to crumble. Right? Just as I said before, when we get closer to God and we love him more fully, we have a greater capacity to love. But when we turn from him and we make it all about those things, they just start to fall apart. And the sad truth, I actually read an article this morning. Uh, it was on uh, CNN and it was saying about, uh, it was a Christian dating site saying, uh, talking about your soulmate. Right. Come find who God's made your soulmate. And and it's like I I read it and thought, well, I can tell you who your soulmate is. It's Jesus. Right. God made you for his glory. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't make uh, he may have a spouse for you in mind and different things and all that. But it's all there to glorify him. And we 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 twist it to be this good thing. He gave us as the ultimate thing. And when we make that the ultimate thing, it all starts to fall apart. And the sad part is this. When that happens, marriage starts to fall apart, relationship with kids, friends, whatever it is. We go, I've got to work on that relationship more. And what happens is we kind of leave God over here and go, no, I've got to focus on this relationship. Right. And we're doing the same thing. We're turning from him and we're going so hard after this thing. And it just keeps crumbling when we need to turn back to him. Right? We need to make him the center of all our relationships or you're really doomed to just keep going in that over and over. They fall apart. Right. So we focus on God and then we let the relationships come out of the overflow. You follow you follow that in Genesis one twenty five. If you look with me, that's exactly what's happening. And you have this picture here and it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Now we can kind of snicker and go, uh-huh, they were naked. There's there's a lot more to that than just physically they're naked before each other. I want you to think about really what that means in its fullness. When they and their relationship are completely and totally focused on God first, their relationship together is pure and it's wonderful and they're open and they're honest and there's no hiding anything. It says they were naked and they were unashamed. And that means so much more than just physical nakedness. It's that they're completely open. There's no trust issues. They're not worried about, oh, did they, they said this, but do they really mean this? Right. They're completely open and honest. And the reason that is the case is because they are completely focused on their relationship with God. There's nothing separating them. And so then the relationships are perfect coming out of that. Right. So God says you love the Lord your God first and then man. Right. You, you love him and then man. So what we see right there in verse uh, verse 25 is this beautiful picture of there's no guilt and there's no shame and there's no self-consciousness. There's no trust issues. There's no problems at all. And we read that and I think, can you even imagine what that would have been like to be in a relationship where you're not worried about any of those things at all? None of them. Right. But here's the problem. And this is where we're going to end up today. Unfortunately, we don't live in Genesis one and two. Right. We live on the other side of Genesis three, which we're going to get to next week when we decide to put other things in God's place and not glorify him. 
each one of us here, every single one of us, we can sum it up so succinctly in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. So we're not in perfect relationship and it's not all those things. And we live in a world that's full of doubt and of guilt and of fear and of shame and not trusting. And everywhere we look, people are judging you based on your relationships or maybe your job or what you're doing or how well you're doing. And, oh, you need to you need to work on your relationship and you need to do this. And what you're bombarded with all the time is to fix these things. You need to put your focus on them. Put your focus on your family first or your relationships first or your job first or whatever it is. And it's all lies. The way you fix it, the way you fix those things is you turn your eyes to Jesus. And you begin to look at what he's done for you and how he's restored you back to what you were made for. And I want you to think about that for just a second. This is where we're going to end this morning. Right? We've, we've turned from God. We've decided not to trust him. And then Jesus comes to us and he says, you haven't trusted me, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to the full glory, to the full perfect relationship you were made for. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to live the life you should have lived. And I'm going to die the death you should have died. And then I'm going to give you all the benefits. And think about what happens at the middle of that. The very heart of the Christian gospel is Jesus does for you what you can't do for yourself. So where does that place the glory? It right back to God. Right back to the way you were designed to be. He does it all for you. That's why we say over and over. That's why I say it every single week. You are saved by faith alone in what Christ has done for you. Because any other way, it makes you the sinner instead of him the sinner. You see that? So this side, even though our relationships aren't perfect and we look at the ideal of how God made it to be, we can still glorify him. We can still seek him through what Christ has done for us. And when you do, he gives you the Holy Spirit and he welcomes you back into that relationship and he begins to remake you anew and it starts to happen over. So when we get to this this end part here, such foundational, the story is all about God, even in our salvation. It's through Christ, right? It's all to glorify him. So then when we look at who we are as man, we are made to glorify him. We are made to trust and to love others the way he's loved us. We're to, as I say it all the time, we're to extend the grace that we have received because we're saved completely and totally by grace. You follow that, right? So the answer is of who we are is we're made to mirror back who God is. We're to, we're to live to be all about him. You fall, and, and it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing when we get that. It's like a huge weight has been lifted. It's not all about me. It's not all about my performance. It's all about him and what he's done for me. What a wonderful, like, like we sang this morning, what a wonderful savior, right, that he makes it and he comes and does for us and gives it to us. So let's bow our heads and uh, pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that you are creator, that you are sovereign, that you are overall, that this entire story is about you. Uh, we wouldn't want it any other way. I pray, though, that uh, each day you would impress uh, just new mercies on us, uh, that we would see it each morning new, newly, that we'd come to the beauty, uh, the, the majesty of who you are and the way you love us, even though we don't deserve, that you've made us to be all about you and focused on you. I pray that you would help us to take each and every captive thought, to take each and every relationship, to see it in light of what you've done for us 
and not the other way around. Uh, it's such our, our, our sinful nature to make it all about us, and I pray that you would just, through your Spirit, continually impress upon how beautiful and wonderful you are and how we were made to focus on you. We thank you, thank you for all you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.